And let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for everyone that's here. Thank you that each one is a precious soul and a precious life to you. We just pray your blessing now upon our time together. Father, I ask you to anoint me as I deliver your words this morning. Open our ears, our eyes, our minds, and our hearts to receive all that you have for us today. And we give you thanks for everything in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I'm going to read uh, two short portions of scripture from the back part of the Bible. James chapter 4. And then I'm going to actually go to 1 John chapter 4 as well. James chapter 4. Just the first verse. What causes fights and quarrels among you? (laughs) Watch how he answers this. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? That usually wouldn't be our answer. Usually our answer would be to point the finger at whatever the other person is doing to cause the fight. And he invites us to look at ourselves, right? And not just look at ourselves, but look uh, in terms of our behaviors and what we may or may not have done to contribute or cause the conflict, but to look at the conflict that's going on inside. So in other words, uh, there's, a, there's a saying, if you will, as within, so without. So whatever's going on inside you can manifest outside of you. Or you could assume whatever's manifesting outside of you is because of what's going on inside of you. Now, that's hard for us. It's a different way to think, but it's biblical. Now, 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 says this. It says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. I want you to notice... The loving comes as a result of knowing God, of being born of God and knowing God. It is not the way that you get to God. Love is the result of knowing God and being born of God. It's not what we do to please God. And whoever loves is coming from the knowledge of God. Whoever does not love is not coming from the knowledge of God. So if you compare these two, compare and contrast these two scriptures, if there's conflict without, James says, the Bible says, if we believe it, it's because of conflict within us. Because of our desires that are warring. Anybody ever felt conflicted? Okay, let me ask it this way. Anybody ever tried to get in shape or lose weight? (laughs) Anybody that needed to lose weight... Ever decide I'm going to lose weight? Maybe anybody set a New Year's resolution and make it about three or four weeks. And that's it. And then it comes around December again. You start thinking about New Year's resolutions. And after about 20 years of that, you think, ah, forget it. <laughs> Why does that happen? Because you're conflicted, right? Because, because anytime you set a goal, anytime you make a change in your life, you're going to upset the ecological system of your life. You're going to upset the ecology of your life. You, under, you understand that? A few years ago, and I don't know, I just haven't seen anything recently. It could still be a, a, a phenomenon. I just haven't seen it in the news recently. But a few years, years ago, there was a lot of concern in the news because the bees were disappearing. Right? And so if you just look at the bees disappearing, you, you think, okay, what's the big deal? But when you consider it from an ecological viewpoint and how they uh, 
contribute to crops and different things like that, then it becomes a huge issue because of the way everything relates, right? So it's the same thing when you have conflicting desires. So if I want to uh, lose weight, let's say, because I want to get my blood pressure down, because I want to be healthier, because I want to look better, but at the same time, I really like, you know, the way I've been eating, right? And so I say, I'm going to eat healthier. So I decide I'm going to eat healthier. So I go to the grocery store and guess what I find out? First thing, it costs a lot to eat healthy. So now it's hitting me in the pocketbook. So it's hitting me in the taste buds. It's hitting me in the pocketbook. And I want to get in shape. I want to exercise. But in order to get in shape, it takes time for me to get in shape, which means I have to take time away from something else that I enjoy. So do you see how just a simple decision that I'm going to be healthy or that I'm going to lose weight totally upsets the ecology of my life? Now I've got all these conflicting desires, right? And now I'm grouchy. Now I'm grouchy because I don't have money to do what I wanted to do before and I'm eating stuff that I don't like to eat and I'm not eating stuff that I do want to eat, but my blood pressure is going down. Maybe. Except that I'm grouchy and I'm upset and I'm stressed, right? And so now it comes out in my relationships. And they're like, and so I bite Julie's head off and Julie's like, what did I do? I mean, it's so simple. So my point is, we have a lot, any time in life that we're, uh, that there's change. It upsets the ecology of our life. Everything's interconnected. Everything's interrelated. There's nothing that's sort of independent of the other, right? So it serves us well, we think, to try to make life as static or stable or as unchanging as possible so it doesn't mess up our ecological system. But here's the problem. Life is always changing. Things are never the same. You, 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 I mean, you know, they say that you never step into the same river twice. You've heard that saying, right? Because there's a flow and life, there is a current to life. There's a current to your life and everybody else in your life, there is a current to their lives. And you're changing and they're changing. And so you have all this sort of turbulence that kind of threatens the ecology of your system. Plus you have desires, you have things that you want, but you can't even settle on what you want. Because the way it messes that stuff up, right? And so our minds are designed to help us navigate through our world as stable and as safely as possible. That's one, one of their purposes. Let me give you some examples. Um, in order to get here today, all of us had to make a certain set of, let's say, assumptions. It's not really the right word, but let's just call it that. We all had to make a certain set of assumptions. So you had to assume that we were having church today. <laughs> Right. That's the first thing you had to assume that uh, you'd have a way here, that the roads would be clear and whatever. You would have to assume that, I don't know, the lights would be on in the building. Maybe you would assume that I would be here. Maybe you would assume that we would have worship or whatever the case may be. But my point is that before you stepped out the door, you were operating on a whole set of assumptions in order to have stability and order and to accomplish your goal, which was to get here. Now, any one of those assumptions could have proven to be false for who knows whatever kind of reason. You could have gone uh, out to your car and realized that you left your lights on or something and the battery wouldn't start and you didn't have any way to get the car started. You could have started out, got a flat tire. You could have, who knows, right? Who knows? We could have all 
died in an explosion and that you didn't read about because you didn't turn on the TV or something. I mean, you know, but I'm being silly and facetious because those things are safe assumptions for us. Those are what we call pretty reasonable, pretty safe assumptions because they're grounded in reality, right? It's kind of like we know the sun's going to come up tomorrow. Now, I suppose a meteor could hit the earth or something, but, but it's, it's still, I mean, do you understand what I'm saying? So we like that kind of stability and we like that kind of structure in our lives. Uh, but the, the problem is, is what works for us on one level that keeps us st- safe and keeps us ordered and keeps us going doesn't work on every level. And when you start talking about relationships, because that's what the scripture is dealing with here. Uh, where do the wars come from that are manifesting in your relationships? And how do you know that you're of God? And how do you know that you know God? Or how do you know that someone else is of God? And how do you know that, that they know God? And so John says, if, the, if, if they're walking in love, right? Right? So when you're dealing with relationships, we, we, it's just natural for our mind to make assumptions in relationships because we think it's going to provide us the same kind of stability and the same kind of safety that assumptions work for us in other ways. Now, here's the interesting thing about relationships. Your greatest, they will be the source of your greatest joys, people, and relationships in your life will be the source of your greatest joys, but they will also be the source of your greatest sorrows, your greatest pain. And we're just wired by God to pursue pleasure and to want to get away from pain. It's just the way it is. That, that's, that's the whole issue in the garden. The word Eden means pleasure. God put man in the garden of pleasure, right? And when he sinned, he had to go out, right? And now by the sweat of your brow, you're going to eat and, and it's going to be hard. And so in the garden, there's pleasure. Outside the garden's pain. And God's primary motivator was don't eat at that tree because you're going to die and it's going to be painful. You see it? And so it behooves us to have to to manage our relationships in such a way that we create less pain and as much pleasure, if you will, in those relationships as possible, as much joy versus uh, trying to avoid the sorrow, right? And so what happens to us is safety becomes super, super important in the context of our relationships, In fact, safety is probably more important and more thought about either consciously or unconsciously in our minds when it comes to relationships than it does getting in the car to come here. Even though any one of us, you know, without divine intervention or angels watching over over us or whatever, could end up in a car accident and physically hurt very badly or we do things that that perhaps... um, where physically we could get hurt and we operate on a certain set of assumptions that may or may not be safe for us physically, but we don't give it much thought. But we know, most of us, that relationships can be dangerous places. <laughs> right? And so, and so what we end up doing is we end up making more assumptions to try to keep ourselves safe. And actually, if, you, if, if we would have kept reading in 1 John chapter 4, he goes on in there a little bit later and he says, look, he says, if you have any fear, you're not made perfect or complete in love because fear and love are completely incompatible. So as long as you're playing it safe 
in the relationships, you really can't operate in love to the degree that you're going to because as long as you're playing it safe, you're operating from a place of fear. So we know relationships can cause us all kinds of pain. So that can make us afraid, right? So we, but we can't operate in fear and love at the same time. So, so we end up making all kinds of assumptions. Now here's the tricky thing about it. When we make assumptions about people and we make assumptions about relationships, we oftentimes do the exact opposite of what we're motivated to do. We oftentimes end up creating more pain for ourselves and more suffering. <laughs> than we would have if we hadn't made the assumption to begin with. But here's the thing. You can't not... Do I want to say it like that? You do it so naturally in so many areas of your life, just like getting up and coming to church, that you cannot really function in life without assumptions. So even though assumptions can cause us problems, you can't not do it. Does that make sense? So you have to make assumptions. Can we all uh, agree with that? Right? I mean, I assumed... (laughs) Do I want to say this? (laughs) No, I don't. Um, Never mind. It would be funny, but probably inappropriate. Um, (laughs) Let me say it this way. I assumed that you would all come looking nice to church today. And all but one or two of you didn't disappoint me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, so you can't not make assumptions. But here's the thing. Are we making assumptions consciously or are we making assumptions unconsciously? In other words, are we making the assumption knowing that we're doing it, or are we making the assumption not knowing that we're doing it? And see, here's the, things about, here's the thing about assumptions. You guys really believed that we were having church today. <laughs> you really did. I mean, you really proved that you believed it by showing up. Right? And, you were, and, and, and it worked. Right? So here's the thing about our assumptions. We believe our assumptions... And then oftentimes, at basic levels like this, our assumptions are confirmed for us, which causes us to trust them even more. So we, so our assumptions, 90% of the time, are reliable, and 90% of the time, they're confirmed for us. But when we get into relationships, our assumptions oftentimes are very wrong, because we assume to know what other people are thinking. We assume to know how other people are going to behave. We assume to know why even people we don't know do what they do. Right? And so we're operating, and people we don't know. So we're operating, so how much more do we do that with people that we do know? So we believe that our assumptions are right, and here's what gets us into trouble. Because a lot of our safety, particularly in relationships, particularly growing up, was based on being right. Based on doing the right thing. Based on being a good boy or a good girl versus a bad boy or a bad girl. Because it's one of the things you learn early on. Now I know this sounds basic, but you gotta understand this is the foundation of your thinking. That most of us were raised in that kind of a good, bad, reward, punishment uh, paradigm, right? And we need that as children. This is, but we get stuck. See, this is part of maturity is to be able to move past this. But so what I'm saying is you, you're not wrong. <laughs> 
to, to do that with your kids because they're at that basic level. And even God did it with Adam, you know, reward and punishment. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? But here's what we learn. We learn that if I'm right, then I get rewarded. If I'm wrong, then I get punished. But part of maturity is being able to develop a more complex way of thinking so that we don't transport that into every area and avenue of our life. Because what happens then is if we cling to childlike thinking, then what we believe is I have to be right in order to be safe. So I will justify my opinion because it's safer for me to ground myself in my opinion and my assumption, even if it's inaccurate, even if it's a lie, even if it's false. It feels safer for me to be right about my assumption than it does for me to be wrong. So for me to admit that I'm wrong about something, now all of a sudden all that fear that I'm not conscious of gets activated. It doesn't cause it. The fear was there all along. But I'm managing the fear by being right. So being right is sort of my coping mechanism to deal with pain and fear. So the moment I have to admit that I'm wrong, all that pain and fear that was there before starts going crazy. So we start fighting with each other over who's right. I had a conversation with someone that that I'm close to this week. I had a conversation with this person. And for the first 30 minutes of the conversation, and and there was conflict. And for the first 30 minutes of the conversation, we were talking about two totally different things. And I'm going to be honest with you, because I've had some training in communication, the only reason we ever figured out we were talking about two totally, the only reason I ever figured out we were talking about two totally different things was because I had been trained how to recognize it and ask the right questions. And when I got off the phone with that person, I was frightened because I thought, I wonder how many times I've had conversations with people and I assumed we were talking about this set of events and they assumed that we were talking about this set of events and there's conflict simply because we're both operating out of the wrong assumptions and we're arguing with each other about who's right. And here's how it happened. I'd, I'd had this kind of some limited contact with this with this person. And so, so initially... Um, He's talking to me about stuff and issues and concerns. That's language. Listen, I have some concerns about our talk. I assume he's operating off of one conversation when he's really operating off of a previous conversation. Totally different subject. So we start arguing about stuff and issues and things. And I think we're talking about this, and he thinks we're talking about this. Now, here's the interesting part. I start trying to nail down what we're talking about to get understanding. But because the conversation had already gotten a little tense, when I start questioning him, he's feeling threatened. Like he has to justify and defend or explain himself. And he says, I hate having to explain myself. And I'm like, I'm not trying to get you to explain yourself out of the context of the disagreement. I'm trying to get you to explain yourself because I think we're talking about two different things. And here comes conflict. Now, it's quite conceivable that we would have gotten off the phone talking about stuff and things and issues and positions 
and been, and been referencing in our mind totally different specifics, got off the phone, assumed things about each other, never even knowing that we never really had a conversation. And if you think you don't do it, I'm really observant. And I've seen it with a lot of people. I'm like, and sometimes I'll even stop and say, okay, wait, wait, wait. Like, like, especially if you're doing like any kind of relationship counseling, like marriage counseling. Like, if you're, if you're, if you're good at that, you can kind of pick it up. And I can't tell you how many times I've sat down with married couples who live together, who are supposed to know each other, right? And said, wait, now, now, and look at the husband and say, now you're talking about this, right? And, and then look at the wife and say, but you're talking about this, right? And they're two totally different things. And it's like, then suddenly the light bulb comes on. And yet we've been carrying on for an hour. All of that based on assumptions. So that we end up creating all kinds of pain for ourselves because we assume things about people. And then we assume that we're right. And then we take personally what they do that didn't match our assumptions. Then we're not impeccable with our word. (laughs) We're not harmless with our word. Right? Nick comes in, I walk by Nick, I say hi to Nick, and Nick just gives me a dirty look. This didn't happen, but I'm just, hypothetically. Without asking any questions, I assume to know why he did that. Because I felt like there was something unresolved from our last conversation. So it's unresolved in my mind, so I assume it's unresolved in his mind. So I assume when I say hi to him that he's feeling the same things I'm feeling. And when he doesn't say hi back to me, I assume he's operating out of the same conflict and, and anguish that I'm operating out of. And now I take it personally. Well, fine, look at that. He didn't say hi to me. Well, what's wrong with him? Now I'm not being harmless with my word. So now i got all this turmoil, and I have to put it somewhere. So I go over to Trent, and I talk to Trent about what's going on with Nick. And now he's making assumptions. And the whole time, Nick, I don't know, he went to a rock concert the night before, and his ears were still ringing, and he just didn't hear me say hi. <laughs> Probably not. He's mowing the lawn. He's on the lawnmower and one of those country boys. So he doesn't wear, you know, the ear protection or whatever. But I mean, I'm being silly. I'm, I'm trying to come up with silly examples. But do you see how that operates? And so then we, we, we end up violating all these other agreements. And then we create all kinds of pain, all kinds of turmoil and all kinds of strife for ourselves. And we end up doing exactly what the Bible says in James chapter four, verse one. The conflict that is without is only a result of the conflict that is within. So that really what James is inviting us to do is anytime there's conflict without, don't deal with it. What's the conflict that's going out there? Don't even look out there. Look at what are the desires, what are the internal conflicts that you're wrestling with within yourself that's manifesting out here. So it's actually really simple. If we can just understand that we do this, that's the first step. Uh, the first step, actually, most of us operate when you're unconscious to something, you don't know that you don't know. <laughs> I didn't know that I didn't know what my friend was talking about <laughs> until 30 minutes into the conversation. <laughs> and then something happened, and now all of a sudden, I know that I don't know, 
right? So it's the same thing with this. We end up making assumptions and creating pain for ourselves, but maybe we don't know that we're doing that. So the first step is to, for change is simply to say, okay, to, to just accept that you can't not do it. That everybody does it, that you're going to do it, and that it's connected to trying to keep you safe in relationships. And when people make assumptions about you, instead of getting all bent out of shape, because how could they assume that about me? Don't they know me? (laughs) Have I been with you so long? (laughs) Right? But but then but then we we get we take it personally when people uh, assume things about us. But please understand, they're operating out of the same programming you're operating out of, and they're doing the best that they can to navigate their relationship with you. It's one of the, one of the most challenging things uh, for me to learn when I, when I first started taking training to help people and, and starting trying to understand human behavior and stuff. One of the most difficult things for me to understand was an assumption <laughs> that... Everybody's doing the best they can with what they have. And the second assumption is there's a positive intention behind every action and behavior. Doesn't mean the action and behavior was good. It just means there's a positive intention behind it. Now, I suppose I could be wrong about that. I suppose I could. But it sure does make life a little bit more like heaven. And if we're supposed to be bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth, it's just helpful for me to assume that people are doing the best they can with what they have, and there's a positive intent behind everything that they do. And actually, the scriptures back it up. Because you have the original sin, right? You have Eve who ate at the tree. We've looked at that a ton here, so I know I can reference that, and you know what I'm talking about. Uh, she only ate at the tree because she saw that the fruit, that it was good for food, that it was desirable to make one wise. So her intention was good, and she was doing the best that she could with what she had. She just didn't know the serpent was lying to her. She didn't know the assumptions she was operating on were lies and not truths. And maybe if she would have just asked more questions, she'd have been all right. There's a proverb that says, there is a way that seems right to a person, but the end thereof is destruction. Nobody ever gets up and says, I'm just going to create pain today. I'm just going to create chaos and turmoil and destruction the best I can. No, they think that that looks right. So there's a positive intention behind what's being done. The problem is life is so complex and relationships are so complex and we're not trained to really think strategically about how to get what we want in a way that's effective. So what, so we process this information so quickly, so what we end up doing is we end up operating out of a positive intention, and then we do behaviors assuming that situations are going to go certain ways, assuming that people are thinking certain things. Right? We, we do those things, but what we don't realize is even though our intent is good, our strategy for getting the outcome that we want stinks. And so we, we operate out of the strategy and cause another person harm and pain, and they're not looking at your intent because they don't know what your intent is. They're feeling the pain, so the only thing they can do is assume that your intention was to cause them pain. 
that your intention was to hurt them, that your intention was actually harmful. But it wasn't the intention, it was the strategy that you used to implement the intention that you had. Does that make sense? So sometimes just slowing down in life makes life go better for you. If you're always, especially, and this is hard for those of us that are type A personalities, if you know what that is. I mean, your type A personalities are your go-getters. I would venture to say most of you that are here today in this service are type A personalities because you came to the first service. I'm just saying, as a general rule, I'm generalizing, I'm making assumptions, but I'm doing it consciously. (laughs) And I realize I could be wrong. But you want to get, you want to get up, get in, get out, get on with your day. Because that's what type A personalities do. And, and sometimes you're the most productive people in our society. Does that make sense to you? So if you're a type A personality, which I tend to be, so I understand this, you're going, you're full steam ahead all the time. And so you're, you're operating your relationships that same way. Right? But what happens is, when you're doing that, you're not thinking strategically about your relationships. You're not thinking about your assumptions. You're, and so it, it behooves us, it, it's to our benefit and to everybody else's benefit, if we can just back the train up a bit, take our foot off the gas pedal a little bit, slow down a little bit, and think, okay, this is my intention. This is the outcome that I want. What would be the best, safest way to everybody's highest good for me to get that intention and start doing some of that thinking ahead of time. The second thing that we need to get good at if we want to get out of this trap is we have to learn how to ask questions and we have to not be afraid to ask questions. Anybody in school, do you think, at any time in your schooling or your education, feel like you asked a stupid question? Anybody ever been sitting in a classroom? I did this as an adult. And everybody seems to be in on the conversation but you. Like you don't even understand the terms. Like you don't even have the first, but everybody's like, and, and did you feel really good about that? Did you feel really confident? Did you feel really resourceful at that moment? And think, you know what, I'm just going to raise my hand and ask a question. But I don't even know enough. I mean, I've been in situations, because I like to stretch myself. I've been in situations where I didn't even know enough about what they were talking about to know what question to ask. And then the person looks at you and says, well, what's your question? Ah, I don't even know. I, I don't even know. Like, I want to understand, but I don't even know what, what to ask. Because, yeah, I don't understand. Do you feel really good? Do you feel really resourceful? Let me, let me put it this way. Do you feel really safe in that moment, socially? So what do you do, most of us? You don't ask the question. You keep quiet, you don't want to look stupid, and you just try to fake it till you make it. Am I right? So, so, so we're kind of training ourselves. Now, listen to all the assumptions that you're making. I'm assuming they're, they're going to think I'm stupid. I'm assuming that everybody knows what's everybody else is in on the conversation. Maybe they're faking it till they make it and they're just faking it better than you are. They've just been at it longer. I can tell you many times as a as an instructor or teacher that I've been in a group and somebody would ask a question and somebody else would say, Oh thank God I'm not the only one that doesn't get it. It like like just eases everybody out, right? But our point is we don't feel safe 
asking questions. So again, because it's an issue of safety, we'd rather operate out of assumption than operate out of question. Because, because you cannot have both. So you didn't get up this morning and think, huh, I wonder if they're having church today. Maybe I should call or text somebody and find out if they're actually having church today. See, so you didn't do that because you made an assumption. See, your assumptions are there to keep your questions at a minimum because if you have too many questions, your mind feels like you can't function. There's not enough certainty to go forward. And so to be safe in relationships, we want to have certainty. So we don't ask we don't necessarily ask questions about why people do what they do or what they're thinking. And, and let me just throw this out. Just this is totally for free. Why can be a trigger question for people. Because we're raised. One of the things I've been trying to do with my kids, like Josiah, don't do that. And then Josiah does it. And what's the first thing out of your mouth usually? Josiah, why did you do that? And so what's Josiah sitting there doing? He's forgotten all about what he did. He's running through his mind thinking, oh, I'm going to be in trouble. Uh, 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 because, and, and what does he start doing? He starts to reason his behavior to justify it in order to make it right. So we've got 18 years of that while we're being programmed or whatever. And so why automatically makes you or, or can automatically trigger all that stuff inside a person? So the why question can be a very tricky one to ask. So what I've been doing with my kids, this has worked so much better just for those of you that have kids. I mean, really, really, really. If this is one thing where I thought, okay, I got an A on this as a parent, it would be this. You don't have to say, why did you do that? Point out what they did. What did I tell you? You told me not to get the tarantula out and let it crawl around on the floor. What did you just do? I got the tarantula out. And he usually picks it up and puts it back. Keep it focused on what did I say? What did you do? Keep it out there in that realm. Now, if I say, why did you let the tarantula out? Because he wanted to go out. He told me that he wanted to go out. (laughs) He didn't tell you that he wanted to go out. Tarantulas can't talk. (laughs) Now, I want to know why you did that. (laughs) No, daddy, really, he can. (laughs) And now we're, we're totally, and yet, 30, and I can get him to behave better. What did I tell you? Uh, get dressed for church. I kept it to him three, three or four times. Get dressed for church. Get dressed for church. Julie's gone. So I'm like a single parent, and it's just like chaotic. My mom's been helping, though, so it's, it's been okay. But she's getting ready for church, and, you know, it messed up the ecology, the normal routines, right? So get ready, get dressed. And he wouldn't get dressed. And so I, I, finally I said, I'm going to take you like that. You're going to go in your pajamas, and if you're in your pajamas, you can't be around people. You're going to have to be in the... <laughs> And so he goes, he doesn't care, he goes and starts playing with whatever he's playing with. And so I said, Josiah, what are you doing? I'm playing with this. What did I tell you to do? Get dressed. And you know what he did? Without me even having to do anything, he just went and he got dressed. That's just maybe helpful. My point is, is that why can be a tricky question to ask, right? So it's, but at the same time, you're going to operate out of assumptions and create pain for yourself. How many of you have ever had an assumption and you asked the questions and you really talked something out and you realized that you had made all kinds of false assumptions? Anybody ever done that? 
And you feel relieved. I do. I feel, oh, it wasn't that. It was this. And I feel better. So we have to learn how to ask more questions. One of the ways you can ask the why question, if you remember, <laughs> when you're dealing in adult, with adults and relationships, one of the ways you can ask it that will be less triggering, what is that about for you? Explain that to me. I want to understand. Well, explain can be triggered too. You have to explain yourself. See, we're dealing with kids. We're all little kids inside. And our, anyway, but those can be those can be ways. Like like we we need to approach the situation. Like I really want to understand what's going on. And then if we can do this last part, and I'm almost done. If we can do this last part and operate from the place of love, because see, here's the thing about the love of God. If you don't get anything else out of what I said, this would be the thing that I would most hope would impact you and you would take home with you. God's love is unconditional because he is the causeless cause. He is the ultimate cause. Most of our love is conditioned by things outside of us. I love you because... You're nice to me. I love you because you affirm me. I love you because you operate and function in a certain way. So as long as you affirm me, as long as you like me, and as long as you operate a certain way, my love is freely given because you're causing the love. It's not coming from me. That is not the love of God. That actually puts you in fear. Because now you're afraid of losing love. So whatever condition you put on love is the cause. And you have put yourself at the place of effect. So I will only love you if you never disappoint me. I will only love you if you do, if you make my breakfast in the morning. <laughs> I will only love you if you, do you see? And when you don't, <laughs> All this stuff comes out. That is not knowing God. That is not the love of God. That's not what John is talking about. So here's the thing, and here's what I want you to get. Our goal as Christians, as those that know God, the proof, the evidence that we know God, is that we walk in his love, which means that we no longer look for love. We no longer look for love. We're determined to be Love. We're determined to be loved. We're determined to love regardless. To say the cause of my love is going to flow out of my relationship with God. And it has to flow. So love flows like this. Love flows into me. Then I have to learn to love myself. And if I can love myself totally and unconditionally, I have no need to get love from anybody else. The only place I should look for love is from God and from myself to myself. Anything else takes me out of the realm of cause, which is the realm of miracles, which is the realm of power, which is the realm of authority, and puts me in the realm of effect. I'll only have a good day if you treat me right. I'll only feel good if I get to spend time with you. I'll only be happy if this other stuff. 
See, in order to do this thing, if you really want to do it, really want to be a disciple of Jesus, it's a tall order. The only way to do it is to say, I will no longer live in the realm of effect. But I will, I will, I will no longer look outside myself for those things because I'm not trying to find love. I'm trying, I've already found the love, and I'm trying to be love and share that love with the world. And once I move into that place of cause, sickness is no problem anymore. Pain is, I'm serious, no problem anymore. Getting answers to prayer is no problem anymore because I'm operating in a whole realm of cause rather than in a realm of effect. Does that make sense? But it begins with love. Do I really want the person, the people that I care about most in my life worried about disappointing me because they're afraid of losing my love? Is that really what I want? No. But it might be the strategy that I'm using in my relationship because when they disappoint me, I'm going to let them know that they disappointed me and withhold love so that they don't do it again because I'm trying to domesticate them and train them to serve me. Does that make sense? This is doable. It is. But it's getting to know God. And so for some of us, we have to realize God loves us unconditionally. God loves us with our warts, our flaws, our mistakes, our dysfunctions. He doesn't love us more when we're on top and less when we're on the bottom or love us more when we're on the bottom and less when we're on top because we need it then we're down here and we don't need it up here, whatever. Those are all assumptions we make about the love of God. God's love flows freely. God's love flows to everyone. God's love flows without condition and without judgment. And what he's trying to do is conform us to his image because if we can get there, we can begin to bring heaven to earth. We eliminate all kinds of suffering for ourselves. And, it, and this part of it, this lesson for today, it really isn't that hard. When you're making assumptions, try to catch yourself. And when you're ready to operate out of that assumption, when you have an emotional charge, when the stakes are high, when I'm angry, when I'm hurt, when I'm offended, when I'm disappointed, instead of operating in attack mode, You did this because, blah, 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 blah. Now you're not being harmless with your word. Instead of operating in attack mode, let yourself be wrong about your assumptions. Hope that you can be wrong about your assumptions. And ask questions to get clarity about what's going on. And don't be afraid to share your what's going on with you. But try to do it in a way that is harmless and not attacking the person that you're working with. Because you're just going to keep creating more conflict. (laughs) Is that helpful? I hope I said something today that was helpful for you. Let's stand up. Let's pray. I think think the Holy Spirit would like to just maybe bring some healing to some hearts today. I, I don't know what that's about. Maybe there's disappointment. Maybe there's hurt from relationships. Uh, maybe you're disappointed with yourself and the way that you've operated and conducted yourself in certain situations. Now's a really good time. Let's just take the last uh, couple of minutes here. Now's a really good time to just invite the Lord 
to work in that area, to bring his unconditional love and healing presence into that place in your life. Lord, thank you that we all uh, are in this together, (laughs) that uh, there's none of us that has this perfected. And uh, so we just let go of our expectations of others. But more importantly, Lord, we let go of unreasonable expectations about ourselves. And we ask for your healing love. We ask for your healing presence. We ask for your holy divine light to shine in our hearts in a way that is edifying, in a way that is uplifting, in a way that is building us up and not tearing us down. And we just release your blessing over all the people that we love, over all the people that we hold in our hearts, most importantly ourselves. And we give you thanks for that in Jesus' name. Lord, I invite your healing presence now. Where there's hurt, where there's pain from relationships, where there's guilt, where there's shame. Lord, we just invite your presence, we invite your light, we invite your love into those places right now to just wash away those hurts, wash away the guilt and the shame, and bring peace in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a really, really wonderful week. And... uh,